Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. This is episode 11 of the Liberty Cafe, and I'm very glad you could be with me today. If I could wax philosophically for just a moment, I'd like to start out by saying that we are all on a path toward somewhere. The, the question, of course, is where are we going? What path are we on, and what is our destiny? In my work as a policy analyst over the years, and, and just working in government uh, prior to that, I spent a lot of time thinking about that because as I looked at the state of things in our society, particularly the state of our laws and regulations, government infrastructure, if you will, I continually noticed how it was getting in the way of what I thought was the best path forward to liberty. Now, of course, in order to even make that assumption, I have to have some idea of what liberty looks like. And so I spent a lot of time working with this concept called THP, their here path. It starts with there because we have to know where we're going. And in order to know where we're going, we have to be able to have a vision. We need to be able to see what the future looks like because, as we know, the the present doesn't look like the future. The future is going to be different than the present. But of course, in order to get to the future, to have that vision play out in our lives, we also have to know where we are right now. We can't get to the future unless we know where we are. So, for instance, if I want to get to Los Angeles, it makes a big difference on how to get there, whether I'm coming from the Pacific Northwest or if I'm coming from Texas. The path there is different. So that's why this process starts with the there or the vision, then it goes to the here or the present, and then that allows you, once you have those two things clear in your mind, then you go to the path, how we're going to get from here to there. On a map, just draw it down, uh, lines on a map, and it takes you there. When it comes to public policy in particular, which is what I'm going to focus on largely today, it's not quite so simple because the there is perhaps not as clear to us now in the present as the there is on a map where you're going, okay, that's Los Angeles. I know geographic coordinates. The same thing with the here. The here is very complex and nobody understands us all. But we have to have some general concepts in mind before we can start going down that path at all. And then, of course, we, we map out the path. It's not as simple as a line on a piece of paper. But in my case, it's been policy prescription for how we can get from here to there. So I, I want to talk a little bit about that today when it comes to liberty. We want to get to liberty. At least Christians want to get to liberty. Not everybody does. If you're not a believer, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if he's not your Lord and Savior, if he hasn't come to you and set you free from the weight and oppression of your own sin, you don't want liberty. You like oppression. You like being oppressed. And it's a sad state of affairs for you. But of course, everybody is in that at birth. Some of us get out of that a little bit earlier than others. John the Baptist got out of that when he was in the womb. God came in and changed his heart. And so when he heard Mary's voice, the mother of his Lord and Savior, his heart leapt for joy because he desired and valued liberty. Other people don't get to that point till deathbed conversions. So when I'm talking today, I'm going to be talking about the path to liberty, the the path to liberty that Christians desire. Let me also talk about one thing here, and then we'll get to what all this looks like. 
There is Christian liberty, and there is economic liberty, political liberty, those types of things. Those, those are two different things. But I don't think you can totally separate them. Sometimes when I'm talking about this, some of my Christian friends say, well, I'm conflating or confusing the two, that uh, they need to be separate and apart. But I, I don't think that's the case, because while economic liberty doesn't mean that you are spiritually free, that you have liberty in Jesus Christ, I do think that those of us in the public policy world and those of us who just care about what our world looks like around us need to build our understanding of what economic liberty and political liberty look like on the concepts that come out of Christian liberty. Because as we know, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One day, the earth is going to look like heaven, and there won't be any difference between the liberty in our physical lives and the liberty in our spiritual lives. They'll all be identical. So I believe that it's up to us as Christians to begin to reflect on that spiritual liberty as we design policies and have ideas about what the world should look like around us today. So let's start now with our vision, the there. What is the world going to look like one day? The scripture actually gives us quite a bit of information about this. And interestingly enough, God gave us a picture of the future at the very beginning. In the cultural mandate in Genesis 1, he told people what their job was, what their task was, how they were supposed to go forward, and what the world would look like in a sense by then. So let me just read Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Some people think that that only counted before sin, that the cultural mandate has disappeared since then, or at least since we moved into the New Testament era. But I don't think that's the case, in particular because God told Noah almost the exact same thing when he came out of the ark after the flood, when clearly sin was in the world. Then it also takes us into the New Testament, and the cultural mandate is not that different than the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And let's read that out of Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you see the similarities? God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What were Adam and Eve supposed to fill the earth full of? Well, they were supposed to fill it full of disciples, people who loved God and served. That's what Jesus told his apostles too. Now, the challenges are a little bit different because Adam and Eve had to disciple their children to come up, but they didn't have sin to deal with. They wouldn't have had sin to deal with. And so it was a different kind of discipling. It was a maturing rather than this converting that had to go on. We can also see a little bit about what the end of the world looks like. It's not just, what, what does it look like, a world filled with disciples? Well, let's look at two passages, Jeremiah 31 and Revelation 21. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. 
and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Revelation 21, 3-4 And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. So a few points we can draw from that. What does a world full of disciples who love God look like? Well, the first thing it looks like is that God and man will dwell together. Also, all these disciples shall know and love God, and they'll love their neighbors. There will be perfect obedience to God's law in this future, this future of liberty. There will be no crime. There will be no police. There will be no man's law. Everybody will submit to God's law, not because they're made to, but because they want to. And then also, God will remember our past sins no more. Sin will be a thing of the past, and so will God's remember. So that's a little bit about our vision of what the future looks like. Let's move into the present. Now, as we all know, the world doesn't exactly look like this today. But but as we strive to re- reach that destiny, by the grace of God, we have work to do, but it only comes through God's grace. It's important for us to accurately assess what the world does look like. As I mentioned before, it's important for charting that path. So let's take a look at the world today. Well, God is actually dwelling with man today here on earth. Let's change that just a little bit. God is dwelling with some men. As we know from Scripture, those who are saved are saved because the Holy Spirit has come into them and changed their heart. But it stays, and God dwells with man here on earth. So actually, some of the future we're looking for has already come to pass. Now, it's true that not all know God and love God and love their neighbor. As Yet, we have some of that happening today. Before the world, before Christ came and died for our sins, back in around 2,000 years ago, the world was a very different place than it is today. There was no concept of individual rights, individual liberty, the institutions that we have today that love and care for each other. It was a very different place. Yet we see those things advancing today because Christianity had come in and brought these concepts to the world. So we don't all know God and love God as we should and love their neighbor. We still have plenty of repenting, but we still have some of these things today. Of course, that also means that there's not perfect obedience to God's law, and there are crime, there is crime, there are police, and there's law from man. But of course, one of the things we can see in the world today is that I think there's too many laws that the eyes of man today are not fixed as they should on the future, future of liberty with Christ, because there are a lot of people don't have that liberty in Christ, and so they're not looking for it. And so they make up for it with more laws. They think more laws and more laws and more man will solve their problem. There's this belief that we can perfect man from the outside by heaping more laws and more restrictions. And if we just do enough of that, people will change on the inside. But of course, Christians know that change has to come from the inside first. Today, we also have this concept that God will remember our our past sins no more. And that's already come to pass, too, for those who are Christian. Our sins today are as far away as the East is from the West. 
So I think it's helpful as we as Christians look at the world around us today to realize that a lot of the things that God has told us about the future are in place today. It's not perfect. We have a long ways to go, but it gives us something to build on, a foundation from which to build on. It's really important to remember that because it is important that we look and assess the world around us with our eyes, but we can't just do that with our eyes because if we do that, we're going to be wrong because we just can't see clearly, even those of us who are Christians. So we always need to keep in mind what Scripture is telling us about man and about where we are today. That's really important. Before we lay out the path, I think it's important for us to understand who is responsible for getting us to the future. That really lies in two places. First of all, it lies in God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are ultimately responsible for getting us where we are going because God gave us that mandate, the cultural mandate at the beginning, and we failed completely, and we were dead. We had no hope of getting to the future that he had prepared for. But fortunately, God already knew that. In fact, God had already ordained that. And so he himself stepped in by sending his son and his spirit to take care of things that we no longer can take care of ourselves. But that doesn't mean that God left us without work to do. The bulk of that work falls on what I would call government leaders. And ultimately, as you'll see, that that falls on all of us. But it's the leaders of government who are responsible for carrying humanity to that path. The first one of those are the leaders of the family, and that's the fathers. Mothers also have some authority in that, but but the, the leader is the father, and he is responsible for shaping his family so that his family and his children and their children are set on the path to liberty. Second of all, it's the leaders of the church, pastors and elders. Those people are also responsible for teaching us the true doctrine of the church so that we can walk towards liberty, the future that God has in store for us. The third are the civil leaders in government. And it doesn't matter whether they're believers or unbelievers. They have, and it's the same thing with fathers, they have responsibility as being ordained by God to have the office that they hold, just like a father does and just like a pastor and elder does, to do God's will and to help move their people towards liberty. Now, if they're unbelievers, they're not going to want to go there, but even God can use those people to take us towards liberty, even though it's not their desire to do so. But it is their responsibility. And then the fourth set of leaders are the people, because the fourth type of government, we have family government, we have church government, we have civil government, and then we have individual government. That is self-control that we are supposed to exhibit in carrying out our obligations to God. And so ultimately, we are also responsible. We are leaders in the self-government. So all these people have responsibilities in carrying us to the future. Who are the biggest obstacles for getting us to the future we're supposed to have, the future of liberty? Well, it's not God, let me tell you. It's the human heart. It's us leaders. It's the government leaders I was just talking about. Fathers, mothers, pastors, elders, civic leaders, and the people. We are our biggest obstacle. And I could go through each one of these different areas, family government, church government, civil government, and individual government, and we could talk about those. But today, we're just going to focus on the path we need to take to liberty when it comes to civil government and the obstacles that we need to eliminate to get us there. I'm not going to spend much time on this, and I hope to come back in the future and go through each one of these and talk a little bit more about it. I have seven different recommendations for 
what I'd call systemic change, to move us towards liberty. Remember, this is an economic, political liberty that is different from Christian liberty, but also is designed to reflect Christian liberty in the world that we're going to live in one. If we're not focusing on that world we're going to live in one day and trying to make this one look like that in some ways, knowing that we can't fully get there yet, then we're going to make a lot of mistakes. We're going to make mistakes anyway, but if we're not focusing on that Christian liberty of the future and the Christian liberty we have now as Christians, then we're it's not going to look very good. And of course, I think we can all look around us at the world today and say, it doesn't look very good. So here we go. First recommendation on the path to liberty is to eliminate public education. When I say public education, I mean both K-12 through education and higher education. This may seem pretty radical for some of you, although we've got some pretty radical things after this as well. But the truth of the matter is that now for about a century and a half, more and more children have been going through public education programs that either deny the existence of God or tell the students that God doesn't matter when it comes to science or biology or history or culture. For a while, this was a mixed bag in some areas, the left and the right coast, northeast in particular. These people advanced farther through the process because they were there was more godless teaching. But now, just about anywhere you go in the country, there's godless teaching, K-12 through and higher education. They need to be. The second thing, and I told you it would be pretty radical, is we need to eliminate eminent domain. Eminent domain is a concept that's in the U.S. Constitution and state constitutions. It comes well back in history as kings and crowns were enabled to take property from people, particularly for public roads and public, but it's based on an incorrect understanding of of economics. I I won't go into that now, but what I will say is if it weren't for eminent domain, we would have private roads. We would have private roads where people wouldn't die on very often, because unlike the government, people, the owners of the roads would have invested the capital necessary to save people's lives and reduce traffic. But even more importantly, we wouldn't have a rationale for police roaming up and down the streets all the time. They could be dispatched when needed to take care of real problem society. The next thing we need to do is we need to eliminate welfare. And I'm not just talking about welfare for the poor, although I mean that. I'm also talking about corporate. I'm talking about the government giving money to private citizens, individuals or big corporations. It corrupts poor people who get it. It's not charity. Charity is when one person goes to another person and says, I see you're in trouble. Let me help you. Welfare is the government taking money from taking money from somebody, whether they want to give it or not, and giving it to somebody else. And the consequences of that are devastating to the people who receive it. And that's true both for poor people who need it and corporations. Corporations, if you haven't noticed, are becoming one of the major opponents to liberty today because they live off the public trough. And if they can't get it because the government gets mad at them, then they're going to be hurting. So they start supporting bigger and bigger government. We need to eliminate government welfare. We also need to look at the criminal justice, but not like a lot of people are. Instead, we need to eliminate government as the victim when a crime in almost all cases. So for instance, say you go in and you rob a store. You take the money and then you get caught and you get arrested. Now, you haven't hurt anybody in this particular case, but when you go to the courts, the case is styled the people of Texas, or the state of Texas versus you. It's not the person you robbed from versus you. 
And, and so what happens is the government has put itself and said, we're the victim. We get to decide how this case is going to go, how it's going to be prosecuted. Now, of course, the government does have a say in justice, but it should be almost secondary in the sense that the government may need to step in and arrest somebody. But if the people on both sides can work it out through restitution in particular, the person ought to be able, in most instances, to avoid jail and a lot of the problems we see in our society today. It's a little different when it comes to violent crimes. Nonetheless, with the government always being the victim, they act like they don't seek. The next thing we need to do, we need to eliminate civil rights. I've talked some in the past about how civil rights laws haven't helped anybody make themselves better in this world or haven't helped many people. The advancement that blacks were seeing in America before civil rights laws, before welfare, came to almost a screeching halt when all that was passed. It just hasn't helped. But on the other side, it has taken away our liberties. And now the government thinks they can do just about anything they want to do with our property, can tell us who we can discriminate and who we can't. And if you haven't noticed, they've just added two new groups of people to that list, people who are gay and people who are trans. It's continuing to restrict our liberties, everybody's liberties, without helping anybody. Civil rights laws. We also need to eliminate legal tender. Government continues to print more and more and more more money, and it's putting us all in the poorhouse, except for the rich people who have access to money and can use it and spend it before inflation takes over. It's making us poor, impoverishing us. Legal tender needs to go. And instead, what we need in its place, private money. I don't care if it's gold or Bitcoin or whatever else, but we just need to stop the government from deciding what money. And then the last suggestion I have, recommendation I have, is eliminate the government's ability to stand in the way of private encryption. This is the new wave of government assault. If they're allowed to get in and require backdoors to encryption programs, to be able to break into blockchain, to be able to trace our money wherever it goes, our liberties will no longer be available to us if they can track us wherever we are and whatever we do. And of course, they're basically almost there already, and they're fighting as hard as they can to stop private encryption from being able to stop their access. Of course, their excuse for that is, well, we have to stop criminals. But as we all know, government passes more and more laws that makes more and more of us criminals. Pretty soon, we're all going to be on the criminal list for something, and they can come get us if they want to. That's all I have today. Look, the path to liberty. As I said, I would like to come back more detail. Thank you for joining me today on the Liberty Cafe.